kind of been this new year, new you. And today I want to talk about what are the most important things. What are the most important things in your life, right? I got some rocks here to kind of represent these big, important, solid things that are in our life, you know. For some of us, right, you know, we think, well, okay, if I can only think of three things that are going to be the most important things in my life, you know, and I'm a three-part being, maybe it should be my body, soul, and spirit, right? And what does that mean? Well, my body is important, you know, if I want to live a long life here on earth. I know I didn't do the offering. We'll do it at the end. Is that okay? Um, my body is important, you know, so maybe I should keep myself healthy, right? Maybe it's an important thing for me to get a good, you know, seven hours of sleep every night and drink some water and, and eat a good meal and, and to exercise. Maybe for some of us, like if we were to say I have to name the top most important things, maybe your body would be one of them, right? And if we were to say, okay, well, what about my soul? Maybe my soul is my emotion, my emotional health, my relationship with others. Like how do I relate with my spouse? How do I relate with my kids? Maybe my relationships, my close relationships, maybe those are the most important things. And then what about my spirit, my relationship with God, right? Am I making time to pray every day? Am I making time once a week to come to church? Am I, am I making time to read God's word and to feed on that? You know, I've always said, like, when your spirit and your soul are hungry, you don't feel hunger pains like your body feels, but you might feel depression, or you might feel angry, or you might feel like emotional up and down, right? So for some people, maybe if I were to say, what are the most important things in your life? That's how you would go. You would go, my body, soul, my spirit, you know, and I got I to gotta make sure I make those a priority. Now, for other people, you know, maybe you would say, what are the most three important things in your life? And maybe you would say, oh, my marriage, uh, my career, and, you know, maybe my friends, right? Or maybe some of you would say God. Um, you know, here's the point. I can't tell you what the most important things are in your life because you might not categorize them the same way I would categorize them. I remember talking to somebody recently and I said, you know, I really have been kind of defining what are the like top three things that I need to focus on for the next year. For me, it was my schooling, right? I was finishing up my bachelor's degree in Christian counseling. And then it was, you know, the ministry here at the Great Lakes Dream Center. And my third most important thing that I focused on that year was my family, meaning my husband and my immediate children, right? My, my immediate family. And, and they were like, what about God? Isn't he one of your most important things? And I said, oh, I put God in everything I do. <laughs> like, so he's touching it all. But for some people, right, they would categorize it differently. So I don't know what the most important things are in your life. But I bet if we were to spend an hour getting to know each other and talking, right, Usually what we do is we complain about what we don't have time for. Oh, I wish I had more time to visit my mom. She's elderly, you know. She's, she's really, you know, getting sickly, and I wish I had more important time to do it. And oh, I feel so guilty. I feel ashamed when I don't visit her, right? What, are, what, you're, what you complain about sometimes is a tell of what really your heart is longing for, right? And so that might be, we might get done talking, and I might say, you know what? Maybe for the next year, you need to say, I need to make my mom a priority. She might die in the next year or two, and I just, I need to take care of her. I need to make it a priority to say, okay, every Thursday night, I'm going to stop by and visit her and bring her something, and you don't know, right? For some of you, it might be like, I know exactly what the most important things are, right? Some of you, you don't know, but today, we're going to talk about it. So when we get up in the morning, we only have so much time. We only have so much time. 
you know, I kind of have this. What's interesting is what I have as far as time is the exact same as all of you, right? You might look at me and say, oh, Mary, you've got longer hair than me, and you've got these opportunities and this and that, and you've got more than me, and, and I would say, okay. But when it comes to time, we all have the exact same amount. We all have 24 hours. And sometimes we just have a busy day, right? Like maybe you're laying in bed and you've hit the snooze like four or five times and all of a sudden you hear your dog puking. Is that not what gets you up fastest? What's really funny, you guys, is I wrote this out like three or four days ago. And you can ask Jesse. I sent her the scriptures, I think, Friday morning finally because I always think about them and pray about them and move them around. And, but I put down for my example of the dog puking. Ask Todd what got me up this morning. The dog. <laughs> I don't think she ever did puke, but but we, I was laying at the bed. My alarm went off. I hit it once, and all of a sudden I hear that, you know. And it's like I jumped out of that bed so fast. I'm like, Phoebe, come, 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 Phoebe, come, Phoebe. Because I'm thinking if I get her at least to the kitchen, there's a hard surface. Like you know, I don't know about you, but I just don't want to clean up puke off of the carpet or out of her bed. So I got her into the kitchen. And then once I got the door open, she went out and back. And then she starts puking right on the step, you know, on the back porch step. And I thought, I'm not going because she's still a year old. It's nice when it's summertime and you can get them to the grass. I actually had one dog that I trained. She would not puke in the house. She would not puke on cement. She had to puke in the grass because I could get her out enough, you know, and get her. But it's like, I, it was too cold this morning. <laughs> I thought, puke on the step. It's not in the house. I don't care. But how, how about that, right? You, you have a morning. The dog starts puking, and all of a sudden your phone starts beeping. You look, and you got Facebook messages, and you got to respond to them. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, no, I'm running 10 minutes behind. I got to hurry and hop in the shower. All these different things are very urgent. This morning when that dog started puking, it was very urgent. All of a sudden it was like, I, this, is, this is my stuff I do every day. These are those urgent things that come popping. It's kind of like a bouncy ball, right? It's like, I wasn't expecting it, but all of a sudden, oh, see, I'm losing it already. See, those things, they come in your life so fast. The dog was puking, right? All of a sudden, I have to do all these things. Now I have to hop in the shower, and all of a sudden, I have to, all these things that are urgent, they come into your life, Right? There goes till 10 o'clock this morning, right? This morning, it was dealing with all this stuff that just came flying at me, and it was dealing with all of those things that I just have to do on a regular basis, right? It's urgent, but it wasn't vital. This is where I want to get us to. Your most important things, my marriage is vital. My most important thing is my body health, whether I can live till I'm 45 or whether I get to live till I'm 95. Keeping my body healthy, that's vital, right? My relationship with God and making sure that I'm keeping my spirit in line with him and my emotions in check, that's vital. Now, I'll be honest, though. The dog puking and making a big mess in my bedroom, that was urgent, right? Let's be real, right? We have things in our life that are urgent. But I want us to look at this and say, what in our life that we're doing on a regular basis is urgent versus vital? So this takes some thought, right? It is vital to eat less sometimes, right, when we're looking at our, our health and our, 
But our hunger pains feel urgent, don't they? Don't they feel urgent? It is vital to be kind to your kids or your spouse. But don't the angry emotions in that moment feel very urgent? They do. So we have these vital thoughts and we have these urgent thoughts, right? So the kids demanding my attention is urgent. But teaching them not to be rude or how to be patient is vital. So I'm using some of these these examples to kind of get us to think about what in our life is urgent and what in our life is vital. When I'm on a date night with my husband, the text seems urgent. Sometimes it's from one of you, right? You don't know what I'm doing. You're just sending me the text and the phone goes beep. Now it's my job, right, to turn it on silent when I'm doing something. But let's be real. I'm human. Sometimes I look over. Oh, and that seems urgent. I should get back to him right away. But the relationship in my time with my husband, that's vital, right? Do I ignore him so I can text somebody else, right? What's urgent in your life and what's vital in your life? Where is your focus? Let's be real, though. We're human beings. We live in this human world. We're going to have all these different things come at us. But the Bible actually talks about this. And it's in Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 3. Jesus is telling a parable to the disciples, and he says, Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. When the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. Now, there's four different categories there, and I'm not going to go into the bird eating the seed off the path or the seed getting into the shallow ground, even though I've preached on that before. Today I'm focusing on the seed that goes among the thorns, okay? So let's read what he, how he explains it, starting in verse 18. Listen then to what this parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown among the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word at once and receives it with joy. But since they have no root, it only lasts a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke out the word, making it unfruitful. Some of the other versions say the distractions. But the seed falling on the good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So here's the question. When we know we need to be productive with our 24 hours, how many of us let those worries, like those unexpected things, right, fill up our day? Like instead of getting all my stuff done and focusing on what I need to do, all these things that come bouncing at me, they come and they fly all over, right? I just let that take up four or five hours of my day. 
right? I just let those distractions come in. I wasn't really maybe planning on it. Or maybe it's stuff I did plan on doing, right? Maybe it's like, all right, I'm going to, I got to, you know, Oh, I know what it, I made a priority to be a part of some group or club that now I find to be bothersome that I don't want to do, but I made this priority. Or maybe it's like work commitments, right? And all of a sudden, look at this, over half my day is filled. And I haven't taken the time yet to put those vital things into my life, right? I've let these things choke out my time. These things happen to us, so what do we do about it? Number one, we have to recognize what is, a, what is priority in our life and what isn't. If we look at the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 2, we see here where he says, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. See, we're conformed to this world. I remember when my kids were little, it was like, oh, you've got to have them in soccer, and you've got to have them in gymnastics, and you've got to have them in horseback riding or basketball or football or whatever, right? I mean, I would talk to some of my friends where it's like every single day of the week, they were taking their kid to something different, Right? And it's like, wait a minute, we don't have to conform to the ways of the world. What does God want for our lives? Not to say that we shouldn't have our kids in sports. That's not what I'm saying, right? My point is, is this a season? Is this, yes, what you should be doing? Are you doing it just because you think you have to do it, right? Because I would have friends that their kids didn't want to be there. They would be like, I don't want to do this. My friend's like, well, no, they need to understand the value of of sports, which is good. But it's like, okay, then let them pick one maybe for the year, not every single season. Like, let them have some time of rest. What is that priority? If we spend more time taking our kids around to lessons, and we don't even have one night of the week where we read the Bible with them and say, what do we want to pray about this week as a family, right? Maybe what seems urgent and what the world says we need to do has just choked out what we know is vital and what we know as a Christian parent we should be doing, right? And I'm not saying I'm the perfect parent. And that I've always done this, always right, and all the time. I'm saying this is the message God wants us to look at. And so I apply some of this to my life, right? And I have to say, how much of what we're doing is is maybe important? It seems very urgent, but is it vital? How many days do we go through our life? And then let's be real. We live in a day and time of convenience and fluff, don't we? Where I can go, this is going to make a huge mess. I promise I'll clean it up on Monday. But I can go on Facebook, right? That's just fluff. It's colorful. It adds some joy to my life. You don't understand, Mary. I've had a rough day, right? Oh, this is what I do, right? Netflix, Netflix, Netflix. When my kids complain, I wanted to see the TV. I was watching something. I'm like, go to the basement, right? There's a TV down there. Um, what about, um, it's just, there's all kinds of things, isn't there? There's all kinds of things. This is just going to stick to the side of my bag here. I don't think it's going to come out. It's going to make a huge mess. That's okay. I have more distractions. Believe me, there's no end to the distractions, right? We got all these different distractions, all these things that we do, right? Right? Oh, I got to watch the latest Zoom. 
I gotta, I gotta, um, what else do we gotta do? We gotta, like, you know, I gotta go to book club, you know, I gotta clean out the whatever. And what we end up doing is by the end of the day, it just doesn't even see, you know, and, and here's the thing, at the end of the day, we're sitting there and we're like, oh yeah, I was gonna exercise today, wasn't I? Oh yeah, I said, oh, by nine o'clock every night, I'd, I'd have an hour and I'd go get on that treadmill before I go to bed. And, you know, and I made that New Year's resolution and I said, my health is gonna be a priority this year. And I was gonna, and I was gonna take care of myself, but it looks like I'm too full. Right? I, I can't. I don't have time to do that. Or, oh, I know, I said I'd visit my mom on Thursday night. You know, I made a priority that Thursday nights I was going to spend time and be with her, and I was going to see her. Oh, I don't have, what am I going to do? I don't have time, you know. I, I, don't, I don't have time to do that. And this perception and what, what we see in our lives, it just feels like there's no room left, right? But here's something I want to teach you. All this distraction, all this fluff, all that stuff there, when you take what's vital and you say, I'm going to put it in there anyway, it makes room for it, doesn't it? Because it moves. It's so light. It's so fluffy that you can get it to move out of the way if you say, I'm going to make it a priority and I'm going to do that, even though it looks like. Because see, this is how Satan, he lies to us. And he says, it doesn't look like you can do that today. There have been times I am not one to get on the treadmill. Like, I'm using these as examples. So do not think I'm lying to you that I got on the treadmill. But one example that I look at is my husband, Todd, right? For health reasons, he's much more disciplined in his thing. He's like, I need to get on the treadmill. I need to get on the treadmill. And there's days where he looks at it and goes, oh, I'm not going to do it. And I'll be like, oh, okay. And I totally give him the easy out. I codependency on that with him. Okay, you know. And all of a sudden, he'll be like, no, I'm going to go. And guess what he does? He'll, like, grab his iPad. He goes down there. He gets on the treadmill regardless. And the room is always made for it. But see, the question isn't about can we make time for what's vital. It's will we. We can. I don't care how busy you are. You can make time for what is vital. But I promise you this, if you don't recognize what is vital in your life for this next year, you won't make time for it because you won't know that you should be. Okay? Here's, here's an example. And I don't want to, like, spend too much time, but I really wanted to read you this story. Does anybody know here ever heard the story of Samson? Okay, so in the Bible, before the kings, before King David was put on the throne, and I was actually King Saul before that, but... Uh, the children of Israel were ruled by, like, judges, by certain leaders that would kind of rise up, okay? And there was this family, and this woman, she was told she's going to have this baby, and this baby was going to be devoted to God, and it was going to be raised up as a Nazarite, okay? So if you were a Jewish person, and you were born into the Levite family, you could be a priest, and you could serve God, and you could work in the temple. But all the other tribes of, of Israel didn't have that opportunity unless... You made a vow to be a Nazarite, which meant anybody could serve God, but you had to make a vow. And if you made a vow to be a Nazarite, there were certain requirements, certain things that were vital. One of them was not drinking alcohol. One of them was never cutting your hair. One of them was not touching dead bodies, okay? Because you were keeping yourself as a holy person who served God, even though you weren't born as a Levite, okay? 
So this man named Samson was dedicated as a young child to be a Nazarite. And because of that, God gave him supernatural strength. And he rose up as a leader. So when the bad people would come in and try to make Israelites slaves, Samson would be able to step in. And he would be able to deliver them because he was being used by God. Right? So this guy's got a really important role. See, he wasn't just, this is important because he was important. He was important for the entire country and all these people. See, some of us need to figure out what's vital because other people are counting on us. We think like, well, if I'm the only one that doesn't care about my health or if I don't care about my spirituality, it's just affecting me. But guess what? It might be affecting your family. It might be affecting this community. It might be affecting this church because you haven't made what's priority important. So Samson's priority to do what was vital was important. So I'm going to start here in Judges chapter 16. There's a bunch about his life and his childhood and his relationship with his parents and all that. Read the book of Judges if you want to hear Samson's entire story. But I'm going to start off at this point here in chapter 16. It says, One day Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. His sexuality seemed really urgent. But was that one of his vital things? No. But our flesh sure does seem urgent, doesn't it? This is the beginning of him getting into some trouble here. The people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. Now the people from these other countries and other areas, they wanted Samson dead. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night, saying, at dawn we'll kill him. But Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. Then he got up, and he took a hold of the doors of the city gate, because normally they would lock it all down at night, so nobody could get in, nobody could get out. So they thought, well, he's stuck in here. We'll get him in in the morning. But Samson was so strong, he went to the doors of the city gate, and together with the two posts, he tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them to his shoulders, and he carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him, so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. That was a lot of money back then. I mean, we can't even fathom. Like, we'll give you, like, $10 million each. If you take care, I mean, because they sold Jesus for like 10 coins of, you know, silver. They sold Joseph into slavery for like 30 or 40 coins of silver. Each of these leaders said, we'll give you 1,100 shekels of silver. This is how badly they wanted this guy dead. So Delilah said to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. So remember, this is just his girlfriend, right? And she's asking him a question. She's, well, let's be honest, she's nagging him. You're going to see here, she's going to nag him and nag him and nag him and nag him and nag him. Now, it's vital he doesn't tell them the vows he's made to God because he's supposed to keep those. Those are supposed to be between him and God. So Delilah said, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. And Samson answered her, if anyone ties me up with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. Now he just lied to her, I told you. His vow to God is not touching dead things, not drinking alcohol, and not cutting his hair. Those were his vows. Those were the things that were vital. His relationship with God was vital. But his desire to be with this woman is urgent. 
right? So he's fulfilling what's urgent, and he's lying to her because he doesn't want to tell her his secret. So then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she tied him up with them. With men hidden in the other room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Now you would think if you told somebody a secret and the next day they tied you up with fresh bowstrings, you would be like, I shouldn't do that again, right? I shouldn't trust this person. But how many of us say, I shouldn't spend all night on Facebook because I'm not going to fall asleep till one in the morning and I'm going to be tired tomorrow for work. And the next day we sit on our phones and we are on Facebook till one o'clock in the morning. We, we, the Delilah has come and tempted us and we do it again. Or, or maybe I shouldn't order pizza because I know I'm going to eat too much. Or I shouldn't do this because I'm not going to get on the treadmill. Or I shouldn't have my phone off a silence when I'm on date night with my husband, Right? Right? I shouldn't make work more important than my spouse. I shouldn't, I shouldn't, I shouldn't. And every day we grab the same fluff and we put it back in our jar. Let's see. Samson's smarter than us? Let's see. Because I think we're all pretty dumb. Let's be honest, right? When the temptation comes to do what our flesh wants, the flesh wins. Then Delilah said to Samson, you have made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come on now. How can you be tied? He says, if anyone secures me with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become as weak as any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and tied him with them. Then with men hidden in the room, she said to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the ropes off his arms as they were threads. Delilah said then to Samson, all this time you've been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me, how can you be tied? You know, we're sitting here going, Samson, come on. Every time you tell her, she exploits your weakness. And every time we know better, we do it again. He says, if you weave my seven braids of my head into the fabric on a loom and tighten it with a pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. If you notice here, this third time, he's getting a little bit closer to the truth. Because it does have to do with his hair, this vow he has. But he's still not quite telling her the full truth of it, did he? So while he was sleeping, Delilah took the seven braids of his head and wove it into the fabric and tightened it with a pin. Again, she called to him and said, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he woke up from his sleep and he pulled out the pin from the loom with the fabric. Three times. Three times he told her a lie to see what she would do. And all three times, she instantly tried to make him weak. Every single time Satan throws urgency at us and tries to pull us away from what's vital in our life, he is trying to make us weak. He knows how strong we would be if we lived out John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come to give you life and life to the full. See, we don't get to live the fullness of that until we participate with God and we put what's vital as a priority in our life. You can guess what happens next, right? How can you say you love me? Now, she's pulling some emotion into this. 
How can you say, Mommy, that I'm so important if when, my, when I'm urgent, you don't take time for me, right? And you have to say, you need to learn patience, child. Like, it's more vital for me to make you wait, or it's more vital for me to have date night with your dad than it is for me to take care of this urgency in your heart. How about work? How can you say you love me? You know, how can you say you're providing for your family if you say, no, I'm going to take a week off for vacation with my family? Right? Some of us, we become workaholics, right? I just got, no, I got to work, I got to work, I got to work. That's my identity. I can do good in that, right? But it's, that's urgent. But what's vital might be your relationships. Now, obviously, there's a balance here. I'm not saying quit your job and just be home with your family. Like, you got to, the Bible also says those who don't work don't eat, right? Like, there's, you've got to have some balance. You got to know where your income is. But you also have to make sure that you don't let certain things in your life become the Delilah that try to steal from the other areas of your life. And she brings in this, how can you say I love you? That's what your flesh does. How can you say you love me? I've got hunger pains. You need to eat more tonight before you go to bed, even though you made a vow you're not eating after 9 o'clock, right? You say, oh, no, 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 it's vital this year. I really get a control on my weight or my health or I'm gonna, my heart. But your flesh says, don't you love me? You know what my flesh says when I get on the treadmill? You must hate me. Why are you making me run? Like, I want to sit on the couch. I want you to put your feet up. I want to be surrounded by a soft, fuzzy blanket, and I want a cold can of Diet Coke in your hand. Don't you love me? Mary, how can you make me get on this treadmill? Why are you giving me water? Ugh. That's what my body says. See, that Delilah in me is saying, this is urgent. Let go of what is vital. But we know when we let go of what is vital, it ruins our life. It says, she says, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made me a fool. You haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging and prodding him day after day until he was sick and death of it, to death of it. Think about that. How many urgent things prod you and prod you and prod you? So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become a man. I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines. See, that's the thing is when we give in to the temptations to do what's urgent rather than what's vital, that's what Satan takes advantage of us. Satan's like, oh, I got her all busy today. Don't worry about it. She's not going to pray and storm the kingdom of heaven and ask God to cover all of the people in her congregation today. She, I, I got her too busy with the dogs puking and taking care of her Christmas decor. And, and don't worry. We got, her, we got her occupied today. I remember reading um, C.S. Lewis. Many of you might be familiar with some of his works. Wit, the Witch, the Wardrobe, The Lion, the Witch, the Wardrobe. Um, uh, he, he did a, a few different works. It was during the time when all these great writers, they were doing like the Lord of the Rings and all these different things. If you actually sit down like with a scholar and a theolo theologian, you can see how, you know, they paralleled a lot of this with the, with the kingdom of heaven. But C.S. Lewis wrote this book called The Screwtape Letters. And it's about a demon who's in command 
and then his little nephew, who's got a lower command, and they write letters back and forth talking about how they try to mess up Christians' days. Because this, this little guy is kind of in this wormwood and different things like that. And one of the things I thought was interesting, I was, remember reading one of the chapters, and he was saying, oh, today, today, I tried so hard to make him upset and yell at his mom, and, and he went over to his mom's house for tea, and, and I had the cat jump up on the table and knock the tea, tea thing down and broke her favorite teapot, and then and, and I had this happen, and I had this happen, and I had this happen, because, see, the aunt and everybody else in this guy's family are not Christian, so they would react out of the flesh and upset, and this man was a Christian. He was trying to show them the love of Christ. And he's like, no matter what I did, he never cursed the name of God. No matter what I did, I couldn't get him to, to be mad at her or, or to be upset. And, and he just kept saying how much he loved her. And he gave her a big hug and kiss before he left. And he said, this demon, right, is confessing all the ways that he was trying to trip up this Christian. And I think, how many times is Satan trying to trip up our life? Because we're not doing what's most important. We're not doing these vital things. It says that... Delilah saw that he told her everything. She sent word to the rulers of Philistine, come back once more. She went and got more help, that's what I'm saying. The demons are like, okay, I'm going I'm to bring in some reinforcements, right? Like, I, I tried to trip him up with this, and that's not working, so let's bring the demon of lust in here. Maybe if I can get him just looking at porn the rest of his night, he won't think about praying. Maybe if I can just get, get this person to just get preoccupied with this political debate, then they won't be praying for the, you know, the congregation of their kids. If I can just get this person over here. So what demon can I call in to help? Because it's what I originally had planned isn't working, right? Maybe if I can get this going. So Delilah called in reinforcements. Come back once more. He has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistine returned with the silver in their hands, and they put him, after, she, after putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair, and so began to subdue him, and his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep, and he thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. Don't we think that? Well, I didn't do anything vital yesterday, but I'll shake myself free. I've done it before. I'll shake myself free. And every once in a while, all of a sudden, we can't shake ourselves free. All of a sudden, that, that marriage that we haven't made a priority, never made it vital, all of a sudden, it's not there anymore, right? All of a sudden, that relationship with our mom that we thought, well, one day I'll spend time with her. Now she's dead in heaven. She's gone. I can't, I can't fix that. All those, all those years I wasted, right? And this time, he couldn't, he couldn't shake it free. He says, I'll go out as before and shake myself free, but he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza, Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to a grindstone in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now, if we stopped here, it would seem pretty sad. It would be like, oh, my gosh, right? Because I'm, I'm saying, do the vital things now before it's too late. Don't be like Samson in one day, whatever that one area of your life was most vital. You know, you didn't do it. For some of us, it's like, hey, I've been working, you know, three, four jobs, right? And, and, and maybe what to do, with, and that's urgent, right? But maybe what's vital is to go back to Delta and get a one-year certificate of, in something, right? So I can go get a job where I can make more money working one job than I made working four jobs, right? Some of this is hard, though. Like, it's hard. It would have been a lot harder for, harder, it felt like to him, just to say, her, I don't want to be with you anymore and break up with her. 
But instead, his flesh felt so good when he was with her that he kept doing it, right? Obeying the rules at work seems hard, but it is vital so you don't get fired, right? Our friends, you know, seem urgent when we're at school, but getting good grades and passing is vital. What about, you know, the hectic running around with the kids, the TV shows, they seem urgent. But quality time with them and regular deep conversations with them are vital, right? Urgently doing whatever versus what's doing the hard thing, which is vital, right? What about with our spouse, you know, running the errands, all these other commitments, our work, it all seems urgent, a quality time with each other, right? Making a date night once a week, um, setting some special times together, that's vital. What about with God, right? Facebook, TV, YouTube, extra sleep, those seem urgent, but prayer time and Bible time is vital, right? The election seemed very urgent, right? But our peace through all that was vital. But how many of us let go of what was vital because of what seemed urgent. So here's the thing. We could pray more and gossip less. We could spend more time reading our Bible than on Facebook, right? What about when we have traumas and we want to just stuff it, right? Maybe it's vital for you to understand God better, to walk through that trauma so you're stronger on the other end of it. Maybe paying off a debt, is vital, you know, and, and spending your money on the fast food seems urgent or all these different things. Maybe fasting and praying for a temptation to be broken off of us is vital. Maybe setting up a new routine and keeping it is what we need to do. Maybe focusing on schooling and let going some of our friends for a while is vital. Maybe focusing on a relationship or backing off of a relationship is vital. Some of us need to work more. Some of us need to work less. Some of us need to spend more time with our family. Some of us need to just cancel Netflix and clean our house, right? I have lots of different examples here, right? You're thinking like, well, why do you say work less, work more? You know your life. You know what you need. You know what's urgent versus vital. Maybe we need to make inviting a friends over a priority. All of a sudden, right, we realize, like, how many people have I ever invited over to my house for a meal? If I were to say, who are your real friends? Who have you ever sat down and had a meal with more than three times in your life other than your family? How many people would that be on your list? Maybe we need to set a weekly time to visit our parents. Maybe we need to pray for the hurting souls to find hope in Jesus. Maybe that's vital. The question is, is what in your life is screaming for your attention? What is vital and needs to be fixed instead of just urgent? We're constantly answering the demand of urgency. And here's a quick example. I remember having a friend who was a stay-at-home mom, and I asked her, like, hey, can you make this a priority, do this and that? She's like, oh, I'm just running all the time. All these things seemed urgent. She had five kids. She said, well, every day I got to run here and there. And I finally just said to her, I said, you need to get your life under control right? Like you need to say, okay, on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, I'm going to run errands. But on Mondays, Thursdays, and Fridays, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stay home. And on Mondays, I'm going to do laundry. And on 
Thursdays, I'm going to, you know, clean the house. And on Fridays, I'm just going to have a day for me to read my Bible and connect with God. And I remember talking to her about a month later. She said it took a while. I actually had to take it a half, half an hour or so one afternoon to call all the different appointments for my kids and just move them all just to Tuesdays and Wednesdays because, you know, they'd have to go to the orthodontist or they'd have to go here or there. And she said, and I just started staying home on Mondays and Wednesdays and whatever day it was she had. And she said, my life, my house is cleaner. I'm at more peace. I've had time with God. She's like, I had to make that a priority. Maybe instead of working three part-time jobs, we go to school part-time, right? Get a certificate in something, and now we only have to work one job. Instead of fast food every day, maybe we got to go to the grocery store, and that's got to be vital, right? What three things in your life are vital? Now, here's the thing. It didn't end with Samson having his eyes gouged out. For some of us, you might say, well, I've screwed up, Mary. My mom's dead now, right? And I might say, like, okay, we'll let time go on and realize that maybe your aunt isn't. Maybe you can have a relationship now with this woman in your life or maybe with your adult children, you can now create something. See, what happened with Samson is they all got together one time for a big party, and they brought him out of the prison, and they put him on display, okay? And at this point, we see here, we'll, we'll put him here uh, in verse 25. While they were all in high spirits, they shouted, bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, put me where I could feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there. And on the roof there was about 3,000 men and women who had watched Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord. Isn't this interesting? He finally now is calling out to God. The whole time with Delilah, he, he, we don't see him praying or reaching out to God. It says that Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get the revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached towards the central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on one and his left on the other. Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all of his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than when he lived. Then his brothers and his father's whole family went down to get him. And they buried him between Zorah and Eshthal in the tomb of Malial with his father. He had led Israel 20 years. So in the end, he found it a priority to do what he had been called to do. The question is, is what are we going to do? I love this here in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1. Let's see if I can find it here says, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live my life being stupid. I don't. I want to live a vital life. So what I'm going to do, and what I'm encouraging all of you to do, make it a priority, start your day off, the most vital things. I didn't check this. I hope they all fit in here. All right, put those down in first. Make that a priority. This morning when the dog was vomiting and this and that, I, I did dealt with what was urgent, but then I still went up to my office and got my Bible out and I prayed and talked to God. Right? I'm going to do that first. 
but that takes discipline. But what does the Bible say? Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. You got to take the time to figure out what's vital. But whoever hates correction is stupid. Then all those things I have to do, right? These are all the things we have to do. Right? I, I have to deal with my kids, right? I love my kids. I'm not dealing with them. I'm, I'm like raising them, right? I have to um, handle all those bouncy things that come into my life, right? And here's the thing. I'm still going to have these distractions, right? I'm still going to have time for all that fun in my life. I'm still going to have room. Now, you know, that I, you know the, how this works. Normally, if you would use sand, right, you could shake this and really, really make more room in there for all these things. And that's what we're going to end up doing, right? We're going to end up saying, I heard this message. It was really good. I got to really think about it. What's vital? I'm going to put that in my life first. And I'm going to become disciplined. Now, it's hard in the beginning to do that. You might walk away from here and you might be, you know, an overachiever and you might think, man, Mary, when I really think about it, I got like 10 vital things. And I'll be like, well, that's great, but pick one. What is one vital thing that you need to work on right now that is the most important that you're going to do every single day? And master that. And really look at, you know, you sh- if you have 10 things that are super important to do every day, you might not be getting it. You know, you might be, may, you, really, they might just be things you have to do but they're not, the, shouldn't be the core things in your life. Now, let me read you one final example of this. And it's here in the book of Luke, chapter 10. And it's about Mary and Martha. You may be familiar with this. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, don't you care at all that my sister has left me to do all this work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. See, Mary knew that nothing else matters in life without first my relationship with God. I need to have this knowledge. I need to have this understanding. I need to have this peace. I need to have this time with God. And she only had this short window where Jesus was in their life, and then he might be gone for another six months. So she was like, I don't care. You know, the food will get, we'll figure out the food when it's time to eat. But right now, this is teaching time. And see, here's the thing is, when you prioritize your life, and you say, I'm going to put the most important things first in there, and then I'm going to do the things I have to do, then I'll deal with what has to come, then I'm going to throw in all those distractions, and then you sit back and you go, how much of the fluff really needed to be in there? That shouldn't be our focus. When you leave here, your focus should actually be prayer and asking God, what is the vital things? Because when you put God in there and you say, I'm going to put God's word in, I'm going to make that, what it does is it pushes up all that fluff and lets it run out. So when you get done with your time with God, all that you have left is what is most important. Sometimes Satan wants to get our focus on the fluff rather than on God. See, 
what's interesting is there's been times where I've been really mad at my husband. Can you imagine me ever mad? But yeah, there's been times where I've been really, really mad at Todd, and I could be like, but he did this, and he did this, and I got to talk to him about this, and then talk about this, and my focus becomes the problem. My focus becomes the distraction. And thankfully, more times than not, especially in the last five years, don't ask me about the first five years of our marriage, thankfully, in the last five years of our marriage, it's like, okay, Satan wants me to focus on the crap, and God's like, are you going to read my word? Are you going to come to me? Do you want to hear what I have to say about that? And all of a sudden, when I say, okay, I'm going to set the problems on the shelf, I'm just going to keep pouring God into me. I'm going to keep pouring God into me. I'm really mad right now, so I'm going to go read my Bible. I'm going to, I'm going to prayer journal. I'm going to worship. All of a sudden, the Lord is like, just love him. Just love him. Or, or go tell it to him this way rather than that way. And all of a sudden, all the bad stuff comes out. And all I have inside of me is the good. So that is where I want us to, to get to. This was, this was on this calendar um, Pastor Melissa had given me when I graduated um, my degree. So every day I pull out and there's a new sheet. And this one that was on Friday says, Dreams seldom materialize on their own. And isn't that so true? We want this life over here while we're living this life over here. That doesn't happen unless we do the work to get there. But we won't get there if we don't make whatever's vital the most important thing in our life. So, with the help of God, we must determine what are the th- three vital things. What do we need to make priority for? Okay? So, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask Pastor Nicole to come up. And she's going to play for us a worship song. Feel free if you know the lyrics or you want to just sit and listen to it. And my prayer is, let's pray. Father God, while we listen to this song, help us to let go of what is just the junk in our life. And help us recognize what is vital in our life and what should be a priority. In Jesus' name, amen. This song is a really great song. It talks about, you know, Lazarus, who had been dead for three days. And Jesus came and brought him to life again. So we may have been dead with our priorities for the last three years. But I want you to ask the Lord, show me what I need to bring back to life again. And then I'm going to come up and close in prayer. We ask you in the name of Jesus to help us leave that tomb. Help us to stop listening to Delilah's voice and the temptation to do what is not good. What we know causes bad things in our lives week after week, but yet we still stay in that tomb. We still stay stuck in the dark because we think that this is what's easy and this is what's urgent and I don't have time for anything else and and, and I'm ashamed and I don't want to go to God. I ask you for your help, Father God. Help us to shift our focus off of the problems and instead focus on you. May we fill our lives so full of your love and of your goodness and of your mercy and your grace that when we we deal with other people, the, the junk just comes off of us. Help us, Father God, to walk in love instead of hate. Help us, Father God, to focus on what is urgent and let that go, but instead be able to put the vital things, the forefront of our mind. 
when we go back to school, help us, Father God, not to think of the urgency of getting the test right so we cheat or the, the urgency of what this friend said and that friend said so we're not paying attention to the teacher. Instead, may we be able to focus on what is vital. When we're at work, Father God, help us, Father God, to know what is vital and what is needed for our lives and when to walk away, when we can get to that tomorrow and spend the rest of our evening with our family. Father God, when we're dealing with relationships and we just are so angry, we want to just point out the problems, help us instead to walk in love and to learn how to forgive. Father God, when we're dealing with our bodies and with our health or with our soul and our relationships or with past traumas, it's so easy to stuff. It's so easy to stick it underneath a rug and pretend like there's not a problem, pretend like I don't need to do anything different. But Father God, you know what is vital in our lives. Satan wants to keep us wrapped up in grave cloths, stuck in a tomb living day after day and only dealing with what's urgent. And the days get so filled that we never take care of what's vital. And all of a sudden we wake up and that marriage is gone or, or we wake up and that loved one is gone or we wake up and our kids are grown and they don't talk to us anymore. Help us to let go of the trap of Delilah. Let us not fall for that anymore. Instead, help us, reveal to us this week, show us what is vital as we deal with the urgencies of life, you need to help us. You need to help us show us, okay, let it go. It's, you don't need to worry about that. And you need to show us what we do need to focus on because we cannot figure this out on our own because we are stupid. We don't like correction. We don't like this sermon. We don't like hearing that we should get on the treadmill every night. We don't like hearing that we've got to make our, our, our spouses that we're angry at a priority. We don't like hearing that, that maybe we have to do something different and apply for a different job or try something different rather than staying stuck where we are. We don't like hearing this, God. But you love us enough to give us the message we need for today. So, Father God, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to help each and every single person here. In the spirit of Delilah, the spirit of distraction, the spirit of urgency that has been ruining the lives of these people for far too long, I break it off of them right now in the name of Jesus. And I know that those demons that have plagued them go by many different names, the spirit of lust, the spirit of temptation, the spirit of workaholism, the spirit of perfectionism, the spirit of all these horrible things, gossip and envy and, and depression that have just showed them things that they shouldn't do, gluttony, um, jealousy, all of you that are the demons, you just try, you try to ride in on the pocket of somebody into this place. I'm telling you right now, you must go. In the name of Jesus, you must leave. And I don't want you just to leave this building and just leave this moment. I want you to leave the person that you were attached to and do not return because these are children of the Most High God. They are covered by the blood of Jesus. They have just heard a message that is changing their perception, that is changing their lives, and you are not welcome to come back on them again. Do you hear me, spirit of lust? Do not come back and tempt them in the middle of the night. Do not come back and try to deceive them and get them their... Make their priorities seem something different than what it is. You demonic spirits are no longer welcome in the lives of these people. And Father God, I ask you to send holy warrior angels to help them not open those doors again. But when their mind starts to go to places where they shouldn't go, that you, Father God, will strengthen them 
and will draw them to your word and to your love and to your grace and show them what is vital in their life and where they need to shift their focus. Help them, Father God. Help them realize that that temptation is not the only place they can get comfort. You show up in their lives, Holy Spirit. Bring them comfort. Show them different relationships they need to be a part of. Show them different ways where they can find peace in their life, that they don't have to go the way of the world. Open doors. Give them favor where there seems to be no way, where they seem to be stuck. Make a way where there seems to be no way. Father God, I not only tell the demons to leave, but I ask you to come into their lives and to radically change their perceptions, radically change their opportunities and what's going on in their life. Help them, Father God. Help them be able to make twice as much money working one job than they've been making working two or three jobs. Help them, Father God. If they don't even know where to start, you do. Intercede in their lives, Lord. Show them what has been wasting their time and where they need to shift their focus. Show them that a five-minute deep conversation with somebody is more important than watching a two-hour movie with that person. Show them, Father God, and make a way where there seems to be no way. Help us. We are just babies, and babies need help. Help us so that as we grow up in you, we become stronger and we'll become wiser because we've learned from our Papa who loves us. Teach us, Father God. Help us to make what's most important, what's most vital, the most important thing in our life, and make that the core of our each and every single day. Father God, reveal yourself to these people. Watch over them and all that they do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, I hope you guys have an amazing week, and I hope you take a few moments today before you go to bed and ask the Lord, what are the most vital things in my life? And start making a list and see what you can do to make that a priority in your life. So I love you all. Next Sunday is the painting party. Please sign up if you're able. Oh, I guess the ushers are yelling at me. We didn't take up an offering. All right. Come on up, ushers. We'll do this quick. You can see my priority is not in the money. Like, I just want to, like, preach the gospel. <laughs> Father God, we ask you to bless those that are able to give, bless the money into the hands of this church that we're able to use it wisely to help this community. Bless those that are able to volunteer, bless those who are able to pray, and bless this church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you all so much.